0: Hello and welcome to All Back to Bowies, a podcast for the show of the 20th of August, Suffragette City, Women and Independence. Uh, we had a very special guest for this show, the marvellous Elaine C. Smith, who was on storming form in her provocation. Um, we also had uh, a terrific Panel um, of women involved in the Yes campaign, Kate Higgins and Tasmina Sheikh. Laura Eaton Lewis gives a really beautiful letter from Portobello. Um, it's a good show. It also got us into The Scotsman. Uh, it was one of, I think, three or four shows that got us uh, written up in the papers. This one um, was written up because Elaine was perceived to have been saying that the Yes campaign has let women down. So, I'll let you judge for yourself whether it was newsworthy stuff. But uh, it's certainly entertaining and very funny as well. So, sit back and enjoy Suffragette City, Women and Independence. (laughs) Hello, and welcome to uh, All Back to Bowies. Uh, my name is David Gregg, and, and my co-host today...
1: ...is Kristen Innes.
0: And <laughs> welcome, thank you all for, for coming. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's it, let's get Yay. into it. Uh,
1: so today, in the big Bowie yurt, uh, we are taking a trip to Suffragette City, and we're going to be discussing the place of women and in the independence referendum.
0: Uh, as you know, uh, way back in May, uh, David... Bowie uh, assumed the corporeal form of Kate Moss and invited and said Scotland stay with us and so we took him up on the offer we thought that was a nice offer and we've come to stay in his Manhattan rooftop yurt Um, and yeah and and uh, it's been very lovely one thing we do every show that we do is podcast and I've realized that the podcast listeners don't know what the yurt looks like. They, they hear us introduce the yurt every day, but they don't know that it's actually made of gold lame.
1: And yeah, my favourite feature, personally, is the lightning bolt-shaped swimming pool running through the middle. Yeah, yeah. Um, I also like the uh, the attractive young men and women who are uh, fanning us all with pan fronts as we speak.
0: Um, I can see that uh, there's at least one oiled Scotsman correspondent lounging with a hooker by the by the pool. That's H
1: O O K A H.
0: So that's great. Oh yes, good lord. No, no, I wasn't saying that. No, come on. Um, and uh, um, anyway, yes. And the audience all on scatter cushions, uh, enjoying themselves. So they'll have a great time today. Um, uh, now, one thing that's to, to, actually—I know we've been funny and all that—but seriously,
2: big question. Yeah.
0: The the. I mean. Scotland is a divided country and I think it's very, very important we talk about that. And I think it's important that we know seriously where everybody stands, because if you don't know where a person stands, how can you speak to them? Judge to the them. Heart? Yeah. Yeah. And the the question that I think we most need to be discussing is is it Bowie or is it Bowie?
1: No. I actually started out, when we, when we began all back to Bowie's, I, I, was, uh, I was undecided on this question. Um, today, in a massive blow for the Bowie campaign, I would like to come out and say that I officially think it's Bowie now. I have come over. Um, if any journalists in the audience would like to interview me about this afterwards, I'll be making statements in the bar.
0: I think, <clears throat> I think that shows the, the movement of women in this campaign. Um, but unfortunately... I'm sorry to say that the bosses of the three major labels have come out and said that if you ask for a David Bowie Bowie. record, they're they're simply not going to give it to you. It's Bowie as far as they're concerned, so... So let's find out. Does all of this make a difference? Will it change? The voting so far has been a huge uh, majority for Bowie, as it happens. um, But every day the chance arises to take back some ground. So do you agree that David Bowie is pronounced Bowie? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8,
1: 9,
0: 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. 14. Or do you say... No, it's pronounced Bowie. No, Bowie. No, no Bowie, no no Bowie, on Bowie. Okay, 1 I think that's 53.
1: I think it is, but I think we've got a large proportion of undecideds in the audience. Do you feel there just hasn't been enough information yet? Put your hands up.
0: Two, yeah. three, there yeah. we go. Okay, well, we'll concentrate on you guys for the rest of the show. So, uh, Sarah, Sarah, did you get that? Have you got that all down? Totals, we'll, we'll release the, the final result at the end. So that's great. There's one other task that we do every day um, here at All Back to Bowies. Uh, which is that we, um, we ask the audience to complete a sentence, um, uh, a, a different sentence every day, on any bit of paper that you have, like a little probably
1: your tickets,
0: yeah, or a flyer. You must have people give you flyers all the time during the Edinburgh Fringe, or receipts, maybe, a uh, or bus ticket, anything you've got. Um, and we've had sentences, for example, like my doubt about my side is dot dot dot, or we've had Scotland is like dot dot dot. Uh,
1: today, we would like you to complete the sentence. The most annoying thing. About the IndyRef campaign has been dot dot dot. Uh, now all of these, all of these, <laughs> all of these sentences are being archived. Uh, the National Library of Scotland is is taking all of our little pieces of paper, our bus tickets, um, and our opinions, and uh, putting them into their independence campaign archive. So let's just let's just Ref- clarify
0: the sentence. I think it's the most annoying thing about. the referendum referendum has
1: been been, the most
0: annoying thing about the referendum has been but you can what we'll also do is we'll gather all of these in at the end and we'll every day we sort of turn them into an impromptu crowdsourced poem
1: read from the bibbity bobbity hat
0: from the bibbity bobbity hat on the wall we put them all in the hat and um so it's your chance to be creative as well so so um you can speak from the heart you can speak politically you can speak imaginatively however you want. Uh, but just throughout the course of the show, have a think about and finish the sentence. Mm-hmm.
3: Uh,
1: so, music. I Should think have so. A
0: tune? I think without uh, further ado, we can go to our first act. Um, and would you please welcome to the stage uh, our first musical act today. We always have music at boys, and today it's Laura Lewis. Yay!
4: Hello, everyone. Thank you for that warm welcome. I'm feeling a bit nervous today about this because um, I've been on a bit of a musical hiatus from my solo material since becoming a mum and uh, spending all my time doing mumminising and uh, trying to pay the rent. So I've actually had to relearn this song that I wrote about eight years ago about my little brother who is in the forces. <coughs>
1: So we like to we like to get controversial. Uh, all back to Bowie's. Oh, I'm 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 wavering again suddenly. All back to Bowie's. Uh, we like to get controversial, and uh, so we like to have a provocation before our discussion every every day. And today, I am delighted to invite uh, the wonderful, magnificent, inimitable, indomitable Elaine C. Smith up to the stage to deliver our provocation before our panel discussion.
2: Thank you. Well, uh, I think that introduction was a provocation. <laughs> um, I, uh, David asked if I would be prepared to say some things that would provoke debate about women, particularly in this debate. Um, as uh, most of you know, I've been very heavily involved for the last couple of years in the Yes campaign. I'm on the board of Yes Scotland and... Uh, Women for Independence and the chair of the Scottish Independence Convention. Oh, I'm saying I was, I'm in so many things. Anyway, uh, I think you can guess which way I'm voting. Um, and I'm also doing the Pure, the Dead and the Brilliant Alan Bissett's play along at the Assembly rooms just now, um, which has uh, been actually quite an, an emotional... Uh, thing to be involved in, much more than I thought it would. Actually, it was just being remarked on that I got very emotional the other day at the, the current call. Not because it, I was being all actor, you know, it's all overcome and all that, but because of the audience, because of you, because of the reaction of the people. And, and at the bow at the end, it's about saying to the audience, really... This is about you. It's not about us. Here. And if I have a criticism of the campaign so far, um, of which I am a part, um, it is that that top down. I can't. I must have done fifty or sixty different debates um, across the country over the last eighteen months or whatever. That top down, three guys, one woman sitting on a platform, pontificating and telling people what is going to... I'm a bit concerned about particularly an old Labourite trade union sort of thing that creeps in, where there's maybe no women on the platform. And uh, they, they've gone into a sort of, oh, this is what we always did. We used to do this 20 years ago. So we'll tell you exactly what's going to happen here. Or this, and it's not about listening. For me, the difference that should have been, and I've uh, said it many times on the campaign trail, is that we should all be down there. I mean, it's good here because you need to see us and all that, but we should all be sitting around in a circle I let people... It sounds a bit hippie-ish, but let the women speak. Let women, I think, in that environment feel more able to participate, more able to stand up, more able to say, this is what I think, and particularly if they see other women... Uh, standing up and speaking as well, that they get involved. And invariably, when I say that at meetings, women do stand up and they do get involved and they do say more. I have loved the stuff that National Collective have been doing, the Imagine cafes. What a different uh, way of approaching politics because this is not about... I know Vote for me, in many ways, is about saying to the couple of thousand people who hold all the power down in London and those elites... Uh, from Westminster across to the city, all of it, saying, well, there you are, you just keep the power, because we don't really want it. We're not good enough, bright enough, strong enough to actually deal with that. And in actual fact, what we want is a different way of doing things, a better way of doing things that engages women particularly. It doesn't surprise me that women are still making up their mind, It doesn't annoy me either. I like the fact that women are going, no, wait a minute, and maybe it's because we don't trust men that much, who knows? Or the men that have been in power for a long, long time have not actually engaged properly. And it's about that level of hope and that level of change that maybe the campaign can still do in the next few weeks, but has maybe not ignited. So that's my provocation. Is that all right?
0: Have I provoked you enough? (laughs) That was fantastic. Thanks very much, Elaine C. Smith. Um, Elaine will be joining us just in a moment for the discussion, but we need to quickly rearrange the stage for that, so if uh, the Bowie elves can um, come and quickly help us get the...
1: Yeah, I'm I'm going to I'm going to don't look at don't look at the people behind me just look at me. Just look at me. Right here, right here in my eyes, in my eyes everybody. Uh yeah, so our panel today um is uh, we're, we're going to welcome Elaine back to the stage, but we're also going to uh, have welcome Tasmina Sheikh, um, who is also on the Yes Scotland board. Uh, she's involved in Scottish Asians for Independence, um, in Women for Independence. She's been campaigning. She's a lawyer, a speaker, an activist. She's also got four children. She never sleeps, obviously. Um, and uh, Kate Higgins, also known as uh, Bird's Eye View, uh, co-founder of Women for Independence, uh, lifelong, um, uh, yes, campaigner. Um, so, my goodness, look at that, look at that. It was, it was almost like like, like like it appeared by magic. Uh, so I would like very much to welcome our panel to the stage. So Tasmina, And Elaine and Kate. This one's welcome as well. I've got two drunk on the power... Um, so I'll give you this one just now sure. so women, we are fearful uh we're cautious uh, we all also hate alex Salmond um, there there's a lot of i mean there's a lot of focus as we as we come up into the final few weeks on on women voters uh, in in the independence referendum um I'd be interested first of all to um to ask each of our um, each of our panelists their kind of opinion on that in their own experience maybe we could start with actually we'll start with Tesmina because she's closest to me um and yeah just tell me a wee bit about your experience of um on the campaign trail meeting women Talking about it.
5: Uh, I'm not just a woman, I'm also an Asian woman, so it's a double whammy in terms of how people perceive my life is like. Um, in terms of this, there's a, a perception that I will always do what my husband says, which isn't true at all. Um, uh, definitely not, quite the contrary, actually. Yes, indeed. We've had um, the campaign's been absolutely fantastic um, in terms of engaging with women. I also chair um, the Scottish Asian Women's Association, and our aim and ambition is to get women involved in public and political life in Scotland and women from different communities all who have so much to contribute to what makes up the fabric of Scotland. What I found um, in this whole campaign, initially we met women um, on doorsteps who said, I don't vote, I never vote, I don't think there's any point. We've now moved on from that so much in terms of people feeling, women feeling that there's absolutely a point in voting. This is going to make a difference. This is a different type of question that we're being asked. And I found that hugely enlightening. And my, my plea would be to all of the wonderful women that we've all met along the way is regardless of the outcome of the referendum, remain involved in the future of this country because the country is a better place for them being involved in. And I want to see more women taking a a bigger... um, Role in public and political life um, in Scotland because we want a society uh, that's an, and a parliament that demonstrates that the makeup um, of our population. The only way we can do that is getting more women in, and we'll get policies that are relevant to women, bear in mind women's needs, and the way we like to do politics, the way we like to think and feel about things um, is really important. So I find that hugely enlightening, and I'm sure it will continue uh, post the vote too. Kate, um, our actually- can
1: we? Can, can you just pass the... Yeah, just pass that one over.
6: Hello. Sorry. Um, yeah, the, it's so annoying to read, and I'm just going to call him out because he's been the worst protagonist of it, and despite being shown the evidence otherwise, he continues to um, perpetuate the narrative of a woman being feared, or somehow fearty, in this debate. Professor John Curtis, you stand accused and absolutely wiped the floor with by... Academics who actually know something about this issue, um, including Professor Fiona Mackay and Dr Meryl Kenny. And, but it, it, it is absolutely... Um, how women are being portrayed in the referendum debate is entirely coming at it from a man's standpoint. And so they are being portrayed somehow as deficient men because they haven't made up their mind yet. Therefore, you know, what's that about? And the idea that women are are lacking confidence and And it's exactly as Elaine said they are taking longer to make up their minds they're weighing it all up and why wouldn't they because there is a sense of as with everything else in life it'll be left to us to sort out (laughs) and you know and so we just want to be sure so um, but there is also something going on I mean I kind of have a given I think I've given up trying to change the world one blog at a time and I'm now doing it one doorstep at a time and kind of out there all the time talking to um, people on the doorsteps and women and that you do get back stuff about oh do you think we could afford it oh I don't know we could I mean what are we going to do if it goes wrong and so there is this conditioning that's gone on particularly in the marginalised communities that this is as good as it gets this is all, this is all the power you need This is all you're entitled to. This is, you know, you really are. You really could not do this. You know, every other country in the world could become independent, but you could not do this. And so you do get this coming back, and it's kind of decades of conditioning, and it's tied up, I think, as well, with women being kept particularly in a place that society wants them to be um, and not being allowed to flourish and enable. And, you know, just by allowing them to talk and articulate some of that, they they actually themselves come round to realising that it can be popped. As soon as it's out there in the open, it's popped, and they can start talking about why it would be a good thing.
2: Um, Well, I would endorse a lot of uh, what you're saying. I think it is that uh, most women will be bearing the brunt of uh, policies, um, change. There's a great phrase that... uh, I can't remember who it was, said to me, You know, you've got to remember, psychologists would tell you, people would rather die than change. Change is really hard. People stay in jobs they hate for 25 years, they stay in marriages they hate for longer. Um, and I was at like, My mother stayed in, uh, married to my dad for 35 years. It was not a happy marriage for a long, long time. And uh, not because my dad was some abusive, awful, terrible person, it just didn't work. The relationship that they had when they met in 1951, by the 80s, when my mother had gone back and done her hires and had a career and was driving and had had her children, was looking at her life, it didn't work anymore. My father was a more traditional person who wanted to keep the relationship that way and didn't really understand what was wrong and why she would want to change. And I always remember my mum, it was very, very distressing at times for all of us, She left, she got her own flat, blah, blah. She gave up a lot of, in many ways, her comforts, if you like, initially. At no point did my mother regret it till the day she died because she had sovereignty. She had her own ability to control her life. And even though it was a small house, and even though it wasn't um, in many ways what was supposed to be traditionally what she was doing, that level of control was something that in the 1950s she hadn't even envisaged was possible, even in the 60s. I think Kate makes very, very good... There's two meetings I've been at in the east end of Glasgow, one in Denison, one in Barrafield. In Denison, a wee woman at the back of the hall stood up, and she was in her 70s at least maybe 80s raging and she said this is a pipe dream don't you dare do this to us don't you know and I I, I was so upset at the end of it because I looked at her and I saw every single thing she'd ever been promised had gone and she didn't and I said to her we're allowed to dream you know we wouldn't have a vote if people hadn't dreamed. Barack Obama wouldn't be president of the United States if, if, if black people hadn't dreamt about the type of future they wanted. Far from perfect, though it is, the change is worth it. And a woman in Barriefield two weeks ago stood up at the end and, and she said, am I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this. She said, I've been unemployed for 15 years. I've got, um, I've got three kids and I've got a job for the first time in the last nine months. It's only 30 hours, so I'll get help from the government. And she said, I am mean, I'm frightened. I'm frightened that that'll be taken away. I mean, it's that level. Living one of the poorest constituencies in Western Europe, and she's sitting there worried that that wee bit is going to be taken away. That that's where the fear goes. And one of the worst things she said was, and I'm ashamed to say in this hall, that even though I'm getting, I'm in work and it's given me a self-respect and a pride that I haven't had for years... Um, and I'm getting help for the government, she said, if I knew where a food bank was, there's one day a week I'd be going to. Now, that's someone that actually believes that's the best she can get, and it's exactly what Kate's saying. It's that um, lowering of sights and believing, for some reason, that things can get better. And uh, convincing women who will be at the sharp end of it all... Is I think one of the most difficult things we've had to do, but it's not because we're less. It's not because we're we're nearly men. It's because we think differently and approach things differently. So, how can we? elaine you mentioned
1: national collective are doing a lot to kind of change the way that the debate is being framed and obviously there are huge numbers of town hall meetings um and church hall meetings villages happening all over the country you know the debate is coming into communities and and is is going there but what i'd like to ask you is we've got an issue um and i'm specifically going to talk about the, the debate the stv debate between salmond and darling um, all right, so we had two, two men in suits. Those are the most prominent politicians, and they were moderated by a third man in a suit. Bernard Ponsonby did a very good job. Afterwards, however, um, there were three women and um, about 14 men called on to give their, their opinions after, afterwards. Now, this is the... Um, this is, you know, most people, the majority of people still aren't getting out there. The majority of women are still... Getting their information from the television, and um, a lot of people find this very off-putting. Specifically, how would each of you, what what sort of change would each of you like to see? I mean, can we can we get that sort of change in in the next few weeks?
5: I think the the debate um, was necessary. I think it was the people um, wanted to have a debate. Um, and initially uh, and I believe it should have been between the First Minister of Scotland and the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom because they're the two signatories to the Edinburgh Agreement Um, however that wasn't to be and Alistair Darling um, was the stand-in for David Cameron Um, in terms of the debate I don't think the referendum will be won or lost on any of the television debates very much from the start, and very much the sort of raison d'etre of the of the Yes Scotland campaign is its grassroots level and speaking to people, you know, at their level in comfort where they're comfortable. And that's why I think, I think Elena touched upon it earlier this idea of sort of these imagined cafes or, or areas where, you know, where women can go, you know, with their families. I've got kids as well. We need to be able to accommodate women that have children as well. That there aren't public meetings sometimes at seven o'clock at night don't suit most people because you've got homework and other stuff to deal with as well. So I just think we've tried, I think via Yes Scotland, we've tried to. and. Uh, Successfully, and via a whole host of groups that we have, and there's a massive range of groups at different times of the day, try to ensure that we're engaging with people. And particularly because we're talking about women, specifically women, I understand that a lot of women will be put off by that debate. Absolutely, I think a lot of people switched off um, after a few minutes because it wasn't the type of thing they wanted to see, and it seemed to be the same sort of thing that they'd seen before. Therefore, we can't rely on the media. To create an environment for women to debate in comfortable circumstances or enjoyable circumstances where they feel they can participate, so very much has been up to what's been happening on the ground to be able to doing that, and 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 that's been working extremely well. We've certainly seen uh, many more women uh, becoming involved, and you know we'll often see. I mean, if you're if you're on Twitter, you'll see. I mean, Kate's not shy uh, to speak up also about things that are happening in the media. Why don't we have more people in these debates? Why do we have a panel that's three against one? You know, that needs to change, and uh, I'm hoping that in the future, because of what's happened in the referendum, because of the increasing number of women um, that are involved in it and people from different backgrounds, hopefully the media will take the hint in terms of what the public are demanding, but hey, I'll not hold my breath. Kate?
6: Yeah, I wish I shared your optimism, Tasmina, I have to say, it because, you know, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, every step of the way since the start of this campaign two years ago, it has been down to gobby women like me sitting there in social media going oi, what about women? And we're just fed up and and you know we thought we'd got somewhere because women were being more invited onto panels and onto talking heads and different media levels and they were thinking a wee bit more about it but i'm sorry the fact that that you know a handful of women have to sit there in social media and call out huge great big institutions with massive resources to say excuse me could women be allowed to raise their voices and be heard in this debate about Scotland's future. It's just a total nonsense. But then they reverted to type. The STV debate, oh, big meaty, men of the nation, talking talking nation onto nation and biggish. We can only have men commenting on the talking points that came out of that debate. If you If you go back and look at all the BBC Scotland coverage on TV and radio and all the newspapers and everybody else, all the bloke commentators wheeled out because this was big stuff. You know, clearly our little brains couldn't have coped with actually adding any perspective from a women's viewpoint to that. And I just think it's a disgrace, an absolute disgrace, that they think that is acceptable in the 21st century. And, And, you know, we're having to think, we're thinking, right, the next one's coming up Monday. We're having to put in the calls and saying, we have got women available to come on and talk before and afterwards, and comment on this. We should not have to. This is the 21st century. Equality is a right, and it should be a right. And I have to say, fundamentally, the older I get, the more bullshy I get about this, as you can hear. (laughs) But it's also one of the reasons why I I fundamentally believe in independence, because we will get a written constitution, we will get it embedded in there. Women have the same right as men to participate fully in public life, and from then we can actually make things happen.
2: Um, well I endorse all of that it's very interesting that at the end of the debate um, the polling, some of the polling in Yes Scotland that we got showed that um, although Alex Salmond wasn't I suppose as the Yes campaign would want to come out swinging in, in what was essentially a boxing match it was really interesting that it was uh, amongst women and older people Alex's approval ratings went up because he was vulnerable because he looked vulnerable. And that is no bad thing. Uh, he looked human. He wasn't and for, I suppose, uh, Dying Will Yes supporters, they wanted it all to be, we, we, our man will be out there and he'll do the thing. I thought it was reduced to being a boxing match. Um, I, I actually think STV over the course have been more interesting and innovative in certain ways. I think they've been trying on tiny budgets I think this should have been BBC Scotland's shining hour and it's been a vast, vast disappointment. I think across the media, uh, you're right, it's the same men that are wheeled out. Um, It was interesting, Gerry Hassan was doing his um, imagination uh, conference about Scotland and Tom Gordon in the Herald, I think it was, covered it and only mentioned the men that were going to be appearing at the conference and I emailed Jerry and I went oh because uh, uh, he had said Do you want to come or something and I said is it men only and he went no but when, but everybody was on because they, it was about who they were interested in and that's what I have found I'm, I'm regarded as a lippy woman um, you know, no. working class, yes, working <laughs> class as well. Not really that articulate. And they're always quite amazed that I'm as articulate as I am at times. <laughs> um, and uh, you get disregarded. You're not in the debate. And it's not. Jermaine Greer said an amazing thing to me years ago when I was talking about comedy. And I said to her, How did you survive in the environment that you were in and all of that, that academic heavy male environment? And she said, You've got to understand, Elaine. It's just easier for men when we're not in the room. <laughs> <laughs> and it stuck with me actually because it's true, because there is I do some my son about I speak, you speak. There's a way that men have of discussing with each other that women don't. We like to get in a it and go off on a tangent and come back and then go, oh, that's an interesting, that's a nice top or whatever. <laughs> but also, you know, we're thinking in a different way, but it doesn't mean we're not focused. It doesn't mean we're not interested or are up to speed on all the issues. We come at it differently. And uh, men, you can see, I've, I've experienced that when you come out or left field, you come in somewhere in a different way in a discussion. They're like... Wait a minute. And they also think you're trying to usurp them in some way. But in actual fact you're just being enthusiastic and joining in. I do think that, um I hope the next debate isn't as um, as much as it is like a boxing match because I think that does turn people off particularly women and it's the same old, same old and I do think the media across Scotland has been shown and at a great deal of the time to be so male dominated particularly our newspapers the language that is used and the, it's almost like journalists, male journalists are talking to each other They're not talking to the public, and they're not actually interested in what women think.
1: We have uh, three minutes to go, and I'd like to ask all of
7: them.
1: (laughs) Maybe sing-along. I'd like to ask all of our panellists, um, what sort of change would you like to see? Briefly, but, you know, what, what, what change would you like to see? Post a yes vote, also post a no vote.
5: Post-Novo, I don't see there being any change apart from in the wrong direction, the negative direction for Scotland, and that's an absolute definite, and I think um, that's becoming more and more apparent as the days go on. In terms of what change I'd like to see in terms of a yes vote, I think there is an inevitability for change in any event after a yes vote because people are so enthused about the type of Scotland that we can become, obviously we, we in many um, for many, most intents and purposes we'll have a blank canvas, we'll have all of the powers, all of fiscal economic levers within our control and the desire to create a more equal, fair and prosperous society and that is a vision shared by, and many of us involved in the campaign come from di- different political perspectives and that's absolutely fine but we all want one Scotland that's going to work for all of our people because at the moment we're living in a society that only works for the chosen few and that must change and fundamentally as a mum I want my kids to grow up in a society that's more equal, more fair, one that they, they can enjoy with with numbers of people that come from lots of different places and i see the real opportunity coming with that and that's something that i'm really excited about and that's some of the excitement we bring to the meetings that elaine's talking about that that worries people so much but it's because we're enthusiastic about our country and we want to create a, a nation together that will last for a long time forever and um, for the benefit of all of our people and i think that's the way forward for us thanks Jasmina kate
6: Yep. Yeah, um very briefly um, I remember watching the the very good, actually, um, BBC's given that we've been critical of them, BBC Scotland documentary um, just after Margot Macdonald died. And one of the things she said right at the end, um, at the end of our last en- ever interview, is that um, this is our time of reckoning and we have to take it because if we don't, we are um, giving our children a much smaller world, uh, narrower horizons and um, less aspirations and we'll be consigning our children to being small and that just, I absolutely was in floods of tears at that, I just found that so powerful and I've used it and I've not used it but I've got it out there because I just think that's it that's it in a nutshell I want to see change happen you know, it may or may not make a difference to me in my lifetime, but I actually want future generations in Scotland to have a much bigger horizon. I don't want their lives to be as small as we've been describing some of the women's lives that we've encountered during this debate, and that's what the change I would like to see.
1: And 30 seconds, Elaine.
2: 30 <laughs> seconds. Get on <laughs> uh, that's one breath. Um, <laughs> Well, I'll just, I'll be poetic as well. As, uh, hopes and dreams is what I'm looking for. There's a great Oscar Wilde quote. We're told that we're always dreaming all the time. My favourite quote at the moment is, I don't want to live in a world where utopia isn't on the map. Even if we never reach it, let us lift anchor and set sail. Thanks very much to our panel,
1: Kate Higgins, Elaine C. Smith and Tasmina Sheik. Um, so I'd like to welcome the lovely David Gregg back to the stage. <laughs>
0: hey, well, only uh, thanks very much. Thanks to the panel. That was fantastic. Um, just to remind you all to... Uh, have you got your sentences? Are you still working on your sentences? Grand. If you haven't, this is the chance to do it. And if you, um, if you need a pen this is the chance to or in fact if you've got a pen let's not let's not come from if you need a pen if you've got a pen offer it share it round the the the, the room scotland. the new scotland the new scotland um, <laughs> that was good <laughs> just had a a proud no thanks there in the audience that's very good you're very welcome sir okay so here we go the um The next thing is every day at Bowies we have a letter, Uh, we usually have a letter from somewhere else in the world, we've had letters from East Timor, from Indonesia, from New York uh, coming up soon, we've got a letter from New York and uh, we've even had a letter from Dumfries and Galloway which uh, we had on video and which we could hear the cows mooing in the background just in case you didn't know where the the author of that letter was. But today we thought we'd have a letter from closer to home. and so today we have a letter from Portobello and it's from Laura Lewis, who you've heard already as our singer, but she's um, also today's letter writer. Uh, so ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Laura Lewis with a letter from Portobello. It's very, very
4: professional. <laughs> there we go, technology is for girls. Okay, it's my letter from Portobello. Um, Like many of the demographic in Portobello, I have two infant children. Um, I'm what the marketeers like to describe as a yummy mummy. My God, that phrase just makes me feel sick. Um, I might have a womb, but I'm a serious person and I've got shit to do in this world. I'm a person who makes shit happen. But that's not how the world sees me. The world sees me as a gap. A vacant space to be occupied a redundant consuming machine who lives in a bolsters world of coffee mornings boden catalogs and cuteness if you're lucky that is if you're among the one percent of women behind the man who makes enough money to ensure your financial redundancy in the manner of that lifestyle magazine The rest of us get to battle it out against the prejudice while facing the reality of the brutal poverty that comes with not working, or the brutal combination of near poverty while you try and keep your place in the workplace culture that discriminates against you for your motherhood whilst making no such assumptions against the fathers in your workplace. How are you going to come back to work? I was asked. Never have I heard that asked of an expectant father. And when it was clear I was staying in the workplace, I wouldn't give that role to her, she's about to have a baby. Said by a female colleague who was a mother of two herself. Having a baby made me invisible. It made me invisible on buses, trains, and in the busy street as streams of commuters barge in front of me because my journey is less important than theirs. I've a pushchair to manage as well as my laptop and my bag bursting with my board papers. But even if I wasn't on the clock of my paid labor, the assumption is that I am not working. I've become, albeit temporarily, like the elderly, the sick, the young, and the disabled. We see each other. We give each other space and consideration because we understand what it is not to be able to get to A, from A to B without fear of broken pavements, lack of space, ignorant co-travellers, and at the end of it, perhaps, the inability to even enter the building you're trying to get into. How does one also get into the workplace when it takes all you can muster just to get into town? This world is a hostile place for those of us that are invisible. I have a disability and I have a baby too. Unless I'm able to work, I'm invisible economically, which is baffling because raising children is proving to be one of the most productive times in my life. In personal terms and in terms of the economic investment I'm making for future society, real investment, not speculation, real investment is about creating value. And a huge amount of work goes into rearing children to be good, productive citizens. And that work largely goes unpaid whether it's done by me, their father, their granny, their day, or their neighbours. We also pay for a wonderful nursery that enriches our child even more, but that costs the equivalent of a living wage for the time that she's there. We know that most childcare is done with no financial value attached. Most childcare, as with volunteering and caring, is done by women. Mothers and grandmothers are neither valued by the labour market or by the state benefit system. Women who haven't paid their national insurance contributions by working receive no state pension entitlement. How can that be? Becoming a mother made me see that this status quo, this world, wasn't made for me. Chances are it's probably not made for you either. This world is made for the man who doesn't have a family to look after because someone else does that for him. It's made for the man who doesn't have a disability or a condition that prevents him from driving a car, running, standing for long periods of time, dodging obstacles whilst walking. He probably has nothing to carry or someone to do that for him. This world is made for the man who's young enough not to fear falling over or getting jostled by those that rush past, but not so young that he needs help to get about or needs places to play or learn to swim or ride his bike. As a young, relatively able-bodied woman, having a child and getting sick made me see a real glimpse of what the world is like for everyone else who can't pretend to be that man. Thanks to generations of feminists, as a young, professional woman, you can sometimes inhabit his world. For a while. But once you reach childbearing age, even if you never want to have a family, you find out differently. You see, women are always getting themselves pregnant. (laughs) themselves. Why is childcare not men's policies? Why is equality not men's policies? Why do we not have a universal citizen's income, which, by the way, Thatcher discovered in the 70s is cheaper than the current benefit system? Why don't we have this proven system that would value all the invisible work of women, the disabled, and the underemployed? Why? Because imagine if our boardrooms, the Westminster government was full of people like us, well then those men would, uh, instead of those men who don't have to worry about pickups and drop-offs or illness or how to get into that meeting venue using a wheelchair, they don't want us in their boardroom or in the government, then there'd be less space for them. They'd be a little less relevant. So We continue to accept the way things are by dutifully giving that our vote, our consent. Or we could do something a little harder and stand behind some different ideas. We can choose to stop propping up a status quo that only benefits the middle-aged privileged man, which is scary because we're schooled into thinking that we have to side with the winners to get on in life. But I'm going to suggest that we just stop doing that, that we... Stop giving that man his legitimacy. His model of success and well-being suits only him. There are other ways of doing things that will work. New Economics Foundation brilliant reports there, particularly 24 hours as industrial 21 hours as industrial policy, Copenhagenized transport infrastructure, equalities and f- flexible working applied to all posts up to board level. Why can't we have that? It can be done. But the will isn't there. Their will isn't there. So how about we exert our will and start siding with plans that benefit us and people like us that value other ways of doing and other ways of doing things? How about we place our support behind the things that give us the opportunity to have a voice, to be able to influence things and make a difference? Just think what would happen if we could put all of our skill and graft, if that was visible and make new things happen instead of using all our energy struggling to make a weighted system work for us we are here we are not invisible thank you
1: anybody feel up for a little bit of poetry Um, I'd like to I'd like to hear some banging drum and bass from outside. Um, I'd like to invite a uh, wonderful poet, Tracy Rosenberg, up to the stage now. Um, you ready to come up, Tracy? Have you, Tracy, have you got a book out at the moment? Yes, do you want, do you want to plug it? Come up and plug it.
7: Uh, Tracy Rosenberg, everybody. Thanks. Uh, normally, I get asked if I have a show at the Fringe. And I think I am the only poet in Edinburgh who does not have a show at the Fringe. So I promise I will not hand you a flyer afterwards. Um, Yeah, my second pamphlet, The Naming of Cancer, is coming out in November. So if you're in Edinburgh and in spoken word or reading the list, you'll see a launch. And then I'll come up and give you a pamphlet. Anyway, this poem uh, came about because... Actually, because of the list. Um, I wrote it for the list, and then they didn't take it, but that's fine. I'm not bitter. Um, But it was basically a request for uh, very short pieces about uh, what what would be an independent Scotland. And I was thinking about the bits of history we remember and how we look back on things, and so I was wondering what a schoolgirl umpteen years from now would think about what we're going through right now. So this is called How the Wars of Scottish Independence Led to a Better Scotland by Fiona, age 10. (laughs) There have been many wars of Scottish independence, but only in the last one did we properly win. The first wars were won by heroes, which is why we celebrate Robert the Bruce and the Wallace. We won at Stirling Bridge and also at Bannockburn. In these wars, everyone fought over Berwick, though no one knows why. The modern war of Scottish independence came about because of a universal sense of dissatisfaction with how the English forced us to store their nuclear weapons but stole all of our oil out of the North Sea. Also, they mocked us for how we wore kilts and ate haggis. And when we played football, it always turned into disaster for Scotland. The main battle was the Battle of the telly, which came about when the traitor David Cameron told Archduke Salmond that an independent Scotland would not be allowed all of the BBC and we would never see Strictly again, but only take the High Road and Rebus. This caused a great stooshi, and J.K. Rowling said if Scotland became independent, Harry Potter would send the Death Eaters after us. Now we are independent and we are a better Scotland. Europe let us back in, even though the traitor David Cameron said they mustn't. We have our own money, and the five-pound note has a picture of Lord Andrew Murray, and the ten-pound note has a panda riding in a tram. (laughs) We watch whatever telly we like, and when I grow up, I'm going to dance on Strictly in a kilt. Next year, for the first year since we became independent, we will win at football. Thanks. (laughs)
0: Thanks very much, Tracy. Uh, Grant, so I think it's time. Have you all got your sentences done? Have you all done your sentences, Grant? So now we ceremonially bring down the Bibbity-Bobbity hat. Uh, that is a David Bowie reference, you know. That is, that's, I, don't, I didn't just say that. Uh, and every day it gets filled with your, um, your wonderful thoughts. So uh, Kirsten will go and collect um, collect the thoughts it's It is absolutely true by the way, the stuff about the um uh, the National Library of scotland they they 're doing a referendum archive, which is a fantastic thing when you think about it and I found it quite touching when I realized that was happening um, and uh the The people that were doing it came down to the Bowie Yurt because this is an example of the sort of thing they wanted to be documenting and they um they were speaking to me afterwards and I thought that what they would want would be all the emails between, you know, myself and the team and all the interesting, important people who we had invited. And, hey, uh, I was talking about this and she just had her eye on this pile of papers and she just went, what's that, what's that? And so when when we took her through it, she just went, this, this is what we want. This is gold. And it's the realisation that... Um, I really do think, I think this is lovely, that in 200 years' time, occasionally you will want to read the emails, but actually these little fragments and scraps of paper that we've just got sort of 80-odd every day um, are as much a little portrait of this moment as any any other uh, thing in the archive. So it is true that they're being collected, and so your thoughts will be recorded for all posterity. Um, Sarah do you want to come and do that
1: yeah I think we're going to read some of them out now just at random
0: I think we'll probably just have to share the mic because uh, well, yeah. let's just share it. Okay, so what was the sentence again
1: the sentence was the most annoying thing about the referendum has been the most annoying thing about the referendum has been I'm not irritated at all just glad it's not, it's not my decision being English
0: <laughs> the, most, the most annoying thing about the referendum campaign has been people not believing politics and voting is for them.
1: The most annoying thing about the referendum has been mainstream media coverage.
0: The most annoying thing about the referendum so far has been politicians thinking it's all about them.
1: The most annoying thing has been all this droning on about the damn currency. The most annoying thing about the referendum has been that the, voice, the voices of thousands of Scots are referred to as Alex Salmond.
0: The most annoying thing about the referendum campaign has been posters on Windows.
1: <laughs> the most annoying thing <laughs> about the referendum campaign has been new levels of Twitter addiction.
0: <laughs> the most annoying thing about the referendum campaign has been my husband vo- voting yes,
1: the most annoying thing about the about the independence campaign has been the no vote uh, campaigners not ref- revealing their position in case of a yes victory.
0: The most annoying thing about the referendum campaign has been the represent has been the presentation of people's views of the future as facts.
1: The most annoying thing about the referendum has been the sheer disappointment of traditional media coverage bias and misdirection.
0: The most annoying thing about the referendum campaign has been lack of women's voices and the bloody pound.
1: The most annoying thing about the referendum campaign has been lack of information.
0: The most annoying thing about the referendum campaign has been having to look at Alistair Darling on a frequent basis.
1: Um, And one final one. The most annoying thing about the referendum campaign, if you don't let us dream, we won't let you sleep.
0: Uh, the most. This is. I quite like this one because I think it could apply to both sides, wherever you stand. The most annoying thing about the referendum campaign is people who don't understand what the question is that they are really being asked. Um,
1: okay. Uh, do you want to go first, David, and then?
0: A. <laughs> it's just, it's just, I'm really passing through because lots of them say, you know, project fear or uh, politicians. Uh, politicians. But the most annoying thing about the referendum campaign has been the refusal of no voting friends to debate.
1: The most annoying thing about the referendum campaign, this is the final one, has been men organising stuff, forgetting to involve women as speakers, etc., then expecting us to pitch up last minute and be grateful we were asked at all.
0: Harumph. Uh, that was great. Give give us a snap. So, um, all of those we do read them on the podcast. We read them all out in the end, and there's always loads of treats in there, and they all get written down. So, thanks very much for that. It only remains now for us to reinvite to the stage as we set up uh, Laura Lewis and Andrew uh, for the final song. To say thanks for coming. Tomorrow we're doing a. Um, uh, uh, f- uh, a, pro, uh, uh, a Bowie's is about London Scots it's called Floating in a Most Peculiar Way, London Scots and the Independence Referendum and we've got two splendid guests we've got uh, Stephen Greenhorn and uh, Rona Monroe Stephen Greenhorn who wrote Sunshine on Leith Rona Monroe of the Great James Plays
1: So, just uh, while we're we're getting set up, I'd just like to thank everybody on our panel today. Uh, Elaine C. Smith, Kate Higgins, Tasmina Sheet, Tracy Rosenberg and Laura Lewis. Laura, get up to the stage again.
4: Um, So, so we were a last-minute stand-in for the musical guest today. You were meant to be getting uh, King David Bowie himself. Um, but he unfortunately had to go and get a new fan belt fitted onto his private jet. So um, we stepped in at the last minute and, and just, we only learned this song last night. So apologies for my cheat sheet again um, we were watching David Bowie YouTube videos last night and, uh, and I had it on again this morning just trying to get the lyrics in my head and um, my little uh, two year old daughter was going daddy, daddy, daddy to the telly so she obviously knows something that Andrew's just found out
3: <laughs> it's a god colorful stuff To the girl with the mossy head But her mommy is selling no And her daddy is told her to go But her friend is nowhere to be seen Now she walks through her sunken dream To the seat with the clearest view And she's hooked to the silver screen But the film is a saddening bore For she's lived it ten times or more in the eyes of fools as they ask her to focus on sailors fighting in the dance hall Oh man, look at those cavemen go It's the freakiest show Grown up a cow, and the workers are seeking fame. Cause Lennon's on sale again. See the mice in the million hordes. From Ibiza to the Norfolk Broads, Roe Britannia is out of bounds. To me and my dog and my heart. But the film is a selling bore, cause I wrote it ten times or more. It's about to be ripped again. them
1: It's been Suffragette City, and we'll see you all tomorrow.
0: Here are the sentences for Wednesday, the 20th of August. The most annoying thing about the referendum is continually being asked to complete sentences for all back to Bowie's. The most annoying thing about the referendum is too many argumentative debates. The most annoying thing about the referendum is Alex Salmond. The most annoying thing about the referendum is the lack of an enigmatic leader. The most important thing about the referendum is prevaricating political profanity. The most annoying thing about the referendum is there's too many important questions ignored and unanswered. The most important thing, annoying thing about the referendum is my mother, aged 78, in her Parker Knoll chair, looking looking forward to getting back to normal when all this is over. Most annoying thing about this referendum is Alex Salmond agenda. Most annoying thing about this referendum is my daughter just says no. Most annoying thing about this referendum is blowhards blowing hard. No exploration of issues, simply point scoring. Same old, same old. The most annoying thing about this referendum is people keep saying it's about yes, it's forever and irreversible, as if that's a bad thing. When did a country ever ask to renege its independence? The most annoying thing about this referendum is the lack of willingness on the no side to engage. The most annoying thing about this referendum is if you don't let us dream, we won't let you sleep. The most annoying thing about this referendum is lack of information. The most annoying thing about this referendum is negativity about being positive about what Scotland can do for itself. The most annoying thing about this referendum is all the shouting. The most annoying thing about this referendum is the lack of women's voices and the bloody pound. The most annoying thing about this referendum is the people who don't understand the question they are really being asked. Most annoying thing is that I'm English and living in England cannot vote yes, even though I own a flat here and have a Scots grandmother. Go Scotland, me too. This is in support of Scotland creating a better future. Wish we could be part of it. Most annoying thing about the referendum is Gordon Brown telling lies. Most annoying thing about the referendum is BBC Scotland. Should have been its shining hour, but sadly it hasn't been. Most annoying thing about the referendum is Project Fear. Most annoying thing about the referendum is the refusal of no voting friends to debate. Most annoying thing about the referendum is politicians thinking it's all about them. Most annoying thing about the referendum is posters on Windows. Most annoying thing about the referendum is the lack of concrete information. Most annoying thing about the referendum is it's trivial press coverage, no stories about political engagement of ordinary people. Too many stories about suits shouting at each other. Most annoying thing about the referendum is my husband voting yes, most annoying thing about the referendum is people not believing politics. voting is for them. The most annoying thing about the referendum is the no-vote campaigners not revealing their position in the event of a yes" victory. The most annoying thing about the referendum is the sheer disappointment of traditional media coverage, bias and misdirection. The most annoying thing about the referendum is the politicians. The most annoying thing about the referendum is new levels of Twitter addiction. The most annoying thing about the referendum is, well, I'm not irritated at all, just glad it's not my decision, being English. The most annoying thing about the referendum is mainstream media coverage. The most annoying thing about the referendum is all this droning on about the damn currency. The most annoying thing about the referendum is that the voices of thousands of Scots are being referred to as Alex Salmond. The most annoying thing about the referendum is being annoyed by the sentiment that we're against the English. The most annoying thing about the referendum is not addressing that the status quo will not continue whichever way the vote goes. The most annoying thing about the referendum is bias and lack of imagination in newspapers. The most annoying thing about the referendum is the mainstream media. The most annoying thing about the referendum is having to listen to and look at Alistair darling on a frequent basis. The most annoying thing about the referendum is men organising stuff forgetting to involve women's speakers, etc., and then expecting us to pitch up at the last minute and be grateful we're asked at all. Harumph. The most annoying thing about the referendum is the arrogance and character of Alex Salmond. The most annoying thing about the referendum is no-one has promised us more sunshine in an independent Scotland.